Welcome to the Weekly Deep Dive Podcast on the Add-On Education Network, the podcast where we take a look at the weekly Come Follow Me discussion and try to add a little insight and unique perspective. I am your host, Jason Lloyd, here in the studio with our friend and this show's producer, Nate Pfeiffer. What's up, buddy? Hey, Nate. I still just smile every time you say our friend. I'm never, (laughs) you changed that on me. How, I mean, it's been. It's been a while now. It's been months and months ago, but I still, makes me just as happy every time. Oh, I'm glad. What's going on, dude? What are we talking about tonight? Uh, I'm excited. There's a lot to talk about. Uh, we, we get to talk about the pool of Bethesda, the, the guy that was there with an infirmity for 38 years waiting for someone to help dip him into the water. All right. Uh, we get to talk about John the Baptist getting beheaded. Uh, we All get right. to talk about Christ feeding the multitude mm. with, with not a lot of food, and yet all of a sudden baskets of leftovers being brought up. And uh, we also get to talk about Christ walking on water and Peter being invited to do the same. Maybe my favorite story in the New Testament. It's a good one, I, and I think we've referenced it a lot, but tonight we actually get to own it. I've been looking forward to this one. I'm, I'm looking forward to hearing your thoughts on this, Nate. We, we have referenced it a lot. I mean, we have, we have I think, talked about it a lot, but it'll be, I, I like what you said, I think that tonight's going to be a, a good chance to own it. Mm-hmm. Put the, go deep. All right. Well, let's figure it out. Let's uh, let's start. I'm going to bounce around a little bit as we as we navigate these stories. I'm going to start in John chapter five, and uh, it's it's going to start with the miracle there at Bethesda. And I'm going to read just here, verse one. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there was a pool. Excuse me. <laughs> now there is at Jerusalem by the sheep market a pool, which is called in the Hebrew tongue Bethesda, having five porches. Now, I'm, I'm going to stop right here already, and I think there's some symbols here that, that make this a little bit interesting. They say, now there's at Jerusalem uh, by the sheep market a pool, and, and I want to call to your attention, if any of you are following along or reading in the King James Version, if not, if you want to look at the King James Version later when you're not driving, verse 2, they have the word market in italics, and, and, and maybe we've talked about it, maybe we haven't. Whenever you have a word italicized in the King James Version of the Bible, what's going on is that word is not there in the original Greek or the original Hebrew. The translator is adding that word to try to make sense of it. And, and you'll see it in particular in Hebrew with the verb to be. In Hebrew, you don't have this is, was, and so the, the, those verbs are always italicized to try to make it read a little bit better, even if the, the original language doesn't reflect that. In this case, when they're talking about the sheep market, market's a good a good guess, but this is actually referring to the sheep gate, not necessarily the market. And you have different gates, and maybe you've heard of the fish gate or the sheep gate. and The water gate. <laughs> different gate. Oh, all right. Different country, oh. different time period. Oh, this this sheep gate was was used for bringing sheep in to the temple for the sacrifice at Passover, and so there's there's some significance I think there with with this being next to the sheep gate. It's close to the temple. This miracle is going to happen in close proximity to the temple when Christ disappears from the crowd. They're, they're, he's going to refind him at the temple. But next, it says that it's called in the Hebrew tongue Bethesda, having five porches. And, and I read an interesting take on this. They, they said that the water itself 
and then the five porches that led into the water and the fact that this guy is stuck on the five porches. And, and so I, hold on to that thought about the five porches. Let me just finish reading this story and we'll, come, we'll circle back to that. In these lay a great multitude of impotent folks. So it's not like one or two, right? There's a large amount of people that are impotent that are, that are hoping to be healed. Um, a large, a great multitude, it says, of impotent folk, of blind, halt, withered, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain season into the pool and troubled the water. Whosoever then first, after the troubling of the water, stepped in was made whole of whatsoever disease he had. And a certain man was there, which had an infirmity thirty and eight years. When Jesus saw him lie and knew what he had been, uh, that he had been now a long time in that case, he saith unto them, "Wilt thou be made whole?" So, and and it, the story is well. I'll just keep going. I'm sorry. The impotent man answered, "Sir, I have no man when the water is troubled to put me into the pool." But while I am coming, another steppeth down before me. Jesus saith unto him, Rise, take up thy bed, and walk. And immediately the man was made whole, and took up his bed, and walked. And on the same day was the Sabbath. So that's that's the miracle of this this water. And and the the, the going back to the five porches, I, I heard an interesting commentary that said the reason why it's significant is the five porches were symbolic of the law, and you've got the five books of Moses, the Torah. And, you know, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And the, and the idea was that the law could only get you so far. And you have all of these people that are impotent laying on the porches waiting to go into the waters. And, and this idea that the law can only get you so far, and then you have to have the gospel that follows it. And, and the waters being symbolic of baptism, of, of the gospel, the law of the gospel following the law. Of, of sacrifice and the law of Moses, then you now have this law of gospel, and that's where the true healing takes place. The law can get you so far. And I, and I thought that was an interesting take and, and worth mentioning here, but I, I, I want to actually focus on some other things on this story. Going back, when he takes up his bed and walks, verse 10, the Jews therefore said unto him that was cured, it is the Sabbath day, it is not lawful for thee to carry thy bed. And he answered them and said that he that made me whole, the same said unto me, take up thy bed and walk. And, and this, this to me highlights what Christ has been preaching so much at that time period. He keeps calling the people out for being hypocritical or, or censoring them. And, and I don't think anything that Christ says is nearly as damning as what just takes place here. Because this man has been sitting in this position on, on one of these porches for, for 38 years, potentially, waiting for someone to notice him, to help him out. And every time he tries to make it to the water on his own without anyone helping, maybe somebody else who's a little bit more able than he comes looking for a miracle and, and jets in in front of him or before him. And, and you hear you have these Jews that didn't notice him for 38 years. And the minute he takes up his bed and walks, all of a sudden they notice him. They, they notice him immediately and, and they start trying to save him, right? What, what are you doing walking on the Sabbath day? Don't you know that's, that's, that's wrong? You're breaking the law? Let me hear. Let, you see that? 
You see that moat in your eye? I'm going to try to pull it out for you. I'm going to try to save your soul and do something for you. How is it that they're so quick to to judge him or to try to save him in this instance, but for 38 years, they ignored him? When he needed it most, they weren't willing to do anything for him. I, I don't know. Am, am I... I think you're bringing up a great point. I try. I'm. I'm. As we're talking through this, and even as you kind of had given me some time to think about this idea, a lot of it's me trying to personalize that. Right? Who am I in the story? And even as we're talking about it right now, I think I'm having. I'm kind of. I'm kind of processing that a little bit too, because that's with a lot of these stories. That's always, I feel like, a good starting point is the question of who am I in the story? Mm-hmm. Remember when we talked about Job? Am I, am I Job? Am I his friends? You know, I mean, like, am I, where, where do I fit in this thing, right? And the, funny because do you want to know where I've, where I've come out on this is, is like, am I, am I the people that's, am I the, am I the other people in the story not necessarily condemning this person but am I the person that's not helping him get in the water, right? Am I, it's, it's like, this is, I'm, I'm trying to understand this from a perspective of where I can maybe make some better changes in my life. And for some reason, my mind continues to go back to, if there's a lot of people around here, right? If there's a lot of people on these porches, and I really like what you said too about the idea of it representing the law kind of up against basically God's miraculous powers, right? Because isn't that kind of, that's, that's, that's the plan of salvation is is the miracle of forgiveness and the mercy of God up against a definable law in some cases, right? And it's it's Heavenly Father and Jesus, right? Justice and mercy anyways. But I'm like, oh man, it's like if there's, you would think if you have a loved one that's sitting on this place waiting to get, you know, dunked in the water, you would help them, right? That you would be there to, I don't know to help him get in and then the the fact that you bring up that there's 38 years this person's been sitting there it's just hard for me to go does he not know anybody you know what i mean does he have no friends does he have no family in this world and i mean it's it's so i've for me at least i've been now kind of trying to to process this story almost as like a am i do um, do I have some blind spots that I need to try to figure out? Are there people in my life that I'm too comfortable going, oh, you and God can figure this out, right? Or, and, are, and in those circumstances or in those relationships, should I be taking a more proactive role to go, hey, let me be the one to kind of help and not and not basically make you wait however long hoping that you and God can sort it out. I don't know. Does that make any sense? I yeah. guess we're both asking each other the same question. But that's kind of, when you when you originally proposed it to me. For some reason, that's right where my mind went. Is who am I in the story, and how can I be a better? I don't know. How can I, you know, clean up a little bit of the, I don't know, dusty corners of my behavior. Well, and and going back to the the comparison of the law of Moses versus the gospel, do we sometimes look at the go- the gospel? on a very personal perspective, like this is for me, this is going to save me. And, and, and our, our fasts are very much, how, how do I save myself? How do I deliver my family? And, and we care about teaching our family or trying to save our family, but we think so much about this for us 
that we're not looking around to the great multitude around us that are hungry for that extra bit. And and maybe they can even apply this to, to missionary work, to being willing to go out and help others that are looking for that peace that we seem to enjoy in our lives. How do we take that pool and stretch it out to the others that are waiting on the fringes? Or how do we bring them into the pool to enjoy what, what we ourselves are experiencing? Let me ask you a question about this, just because I don't know. And if you don't know too, I don't mean to put you on the spot. But did this did the did this work? Did the person did the first person in after the stilling of the water did it miraculously cure them no matter what they had? That's a question I've had too. And and for for them to carry on this tradition for however long this is, I mean, if the guy's here for thirty eight years and and trying to hustle, like to some extent, it almost seems like it it was working. Whatever the case may be, or just as a thought because this is the other place that my brain went. But I, I wanted to ask you about this before I went too far down this path, right? Oh, boy. I know. Um, it's This is not a spicy take, by the way. It's just it's just kind of a, a – it, it, it led me to a more profound answer. Okay. If the pool – if the idea of – that tradition so long had been that if you – get into this pool, you're going to be, let's just say, cured of cancer, right? Or, mm-hmm. I don't know, something, right? And so it was kind of the mad dash to get in there whenever, whenever. by, by the way, maybe a very natural phenomenon happened, right? That, that was given credit to like, oh, an angel touches the water, it's, it's troubled, you, whoever's the first to jump in, that's the person that apparently God cares about the most. Do you know what I mean? To like give them, and, and then... And then so there's this mad dash, people get in the pool, everybody else is bummed out that didn't make it, right? The person gets out and is like, hey, I'm cured of cancer, and then goes home and dies of cancer. You know what I mean? Like I, like in my mind, because it's hard for me not to see a lot of similarities with a lot of other like kind of religious traditions, not even in just our church, right? But in just a lot of cultures where there's kind of a, hey, if, if you do this thing, you know, or whatever, it's like you see the people on TV all the time, it's like come up to me and I'm going to whack you on the head and you're healed or, or whatever that is. Right. Mm-hmm. But it's like, it's, it's kind of ingrained as like a, we almost convince ourselves that, you know what I mean? That it's like, Oh, a, a miracle took place. Even, even if we don't know for sure if it has, right. That the power of placebo. That's what I'm saying is, is, is more of a placebo tradition thing. Right. Because in my mind where that took me was Jesus came and didn't say get in the pool. What did he say? Take I'm gonna actually, I'm I... gonna actually heal you. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like all this traditional stuff. Like fine, let everybody else do that. But I'm actually kind of here to to do this. I don't need any of that stuff. Take up your bed and healed, right? And and be healed and walk away. And so for me, it's like it was almost it was almost the the juxtaposition of years of tradition. And kind of potentially something that is is just believed to maybe be helping. I mean, dude, we live in the freaking state of of every, you know what I mean, essential oil of every. And again, I'm not bagging on that stuff because trust me, some of that stuff smells amazing, right? And it's, you know, whatever. And it's good clearing your sinuses, whatever. I'm not, you know what I mean? It's like we live in the epicenter of do this and trust me, you're going to feel better. And sometimes you do feel better and you're like, oh, sweet, this works. And sometimes you don't. And you're like, well, it's not because it doesn't work. It's because whatever, right? But it's like you have you have businesses, you have complete business structures built around these types of things, right? I just love that Jesus in his simple way 
in that exact situation almost comes up against generations maybe because again if he's been there for 40 years this didn't just start 40 years ago right he comes up into this situation and actually heals the person and the person doesn't do any of those things and takes up his bed and walks away and so that was kind of the other thing where I was just like I wonder if this even worked and if it did work I would love to know why you know what I mean like why God was like all right guys we have this we have the once a year sweepstakes you know it's like I'm, I'm trouble in the water and first person that jumps in you you're good everybody else you're gonna st- have to sit here and wait for a little while you know like it makes me think that maybe maybe it didn't actually do anything is is what that story makes me think of right that jesus didn't say hey let's just wait till the water's trouble again and i'll push you in real quick well it's interesting and, and I, i'd like to take that with another scripture that's kind of in this and maybe not directly tied to this story but but in it, it says search the scriptures for in them you think you have eternal life and and what is the law supposed to do what is the gospel supposed to do if we're talking about the porches signifying the law of Moses and the five books of Moses, and we're talking about the water signifying the waters of baptism and the gospel, is it not supposed to bring you to Christ? And so if Christ comes to this man and says, here, I am here, you are already here, what do you need the law, what do you need the gospel for? It, all of that was supposed to take you to me. And and I think a lot of people were getting distracted by the law and, and hyper-focusing on the law. And, and taking the spotlight on the law rather than using the law to bring them to, to Christ. And Christ is saying, I, I am the, the source. The reason of all this. I I'm am. the reason for all of these things. Yeah, and, and where other people might be looking and seeking for external or other solutions and focusing on those, not realizing that the reason why they worked is because it was supposed to be bringing them to the Savior and really life was to be found in Him. And, and maybe that's His way of saying, Let's let's put all of this aside for a minute and not lose what this is all about. It's all about being like the Savior, coming to the Savior, and and connecting with the Savior. Yeah, like, totally. And the last question would then be, if everybody else saw this happen, do you think everybody else is still like waiting around to try to jump in the pool, or is everybody else going, "Oh, hey, wait, hold on a second. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I'm next. You know, like that actually. I mean, it just, again, like, I hate to harp on this, but isn't it funny, though, sometimes, like, how we, sometimes the simplest solution is just ask Jesus, you know what I mean? Like, truly, just, like, pray and ask where it's so much easier for our brains to have a process or, like, a, hey, if you do this and if you do 10 jumping jacks and if you, you know what I mean, whatever whatever that process is that is, like, then then like the miracle works right it's like the it's almost it's almost maybe scarier to remove the tradition it's almost scarier to remove all of the the processes behind things and simply just go i'm going to pray about this and that actually takes a lot of faith because i'm not going to be doing anything other than you know i mean i'm I'm still going to whatever but i'm i'm going to rely on that right um and yeah, and then that because and the and the only reason I think of that is just it makes me think of everybody else that's looking around, and this dude that didn't get in the water is the one that gets up and walks away. And like you said, instead of people being like, "Hey, that's awesome," everybody else is like, "Whoa, whoa, 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 whoa!" You're breaking the Sabbath. You're gonna wait here another thirty-eight years and get in the water like the rest of us, you know? 
I don't know. There's just there's a lot of there's a lot of funny cultural things to unpack in this story, right? There's a lot of social things to unpack in well, the story. Yeah, and it, and it breaks my heart to know the guy was sitting there for 38 years without anyone willing to help him out. And and when he is walking on the Sabbath day carrying his bed, and they're so quick to 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 damn him and say, "Look, it, it's the Sabbath. It's not lawful for you to do what you're doing." Why why do they notice him now? And and are we that way? Are there people that maybe need our help getting to the water or or need our help connecting with Christ and getting that miracle that are looking to be healed? And and we tend to avoid them because we're so focused on our own needs or whatever it is that we're focused on. We're trying to heal ourselves. And when we see them walk out of line, now all of a sudden they, they, they're center attention for us and the spotlight's on them and we're, we're so quick to criticize or be critical and like, how can you do this? And, and, and I don't know, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's an interesting story. And I think Christ, you know, we call him Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, and he's all encompassing. And, and there's a lot of dichotomy. There's a lot of things that kind of reach the full breadth of things. You look at the shepherds that came and visited him when he was born on one end of the spectrum versus the wise men that came and visited him on the other end of the spectrum. He's the king of kings, yet he's blown, he, he's born in a manger that's lower than lower, right? And we and we have this, this, this extreme on either end. And I like this story in that it has balance. I, I feel like it has balance with the man that's also unable to walk, who's palsy, laying in a bed, whose four friends go a great distance. And and not only that, just think of what effort it would have taken to try to not just lower this guy from the roof of the building. How did they get him up on the roof of a two-story building in a bed to begin with and dig a hole through the roof and drop him in there with care? He He had people that he relied on. And, and Christ healed him because of the faith of those that, that were helping him. That's one extreme, right? And now here you have somebody who who apparently nobody cares about for 38 years. You brought this point up, Nate. How did this guy not have family or friends for 38 years? How come, how come, how come somebody, and, and this is, again, right close to the temple. At the very least, you've got temple workers going by this constantly, and, and you think the temple workers have to be the cream of the crop. Did a temple worker not see this guy and not care enough to say, hey, let me give you a hand and lower you into this water? He didn't even have a single solitary friend, let alone four friends that went to that level of dedication for him. And, and Christ still cared enough and saw through and helped him. Whether, whether we have people that care about us enough to bring us to Christ or whether we're abandoned and feel absolutely alone in isolation, he still sees and finds us. And, and I, I find that extreme on both ends, the, the, the ones that cared and had family and the one that was just in that level of isolation. I don't, I don't know. I feel like there's a lot we could highlight in this. And maybe no, I think I think we did. I mean, I'm sure that I'm sure that a lot of people listening probably have other really fantastic insight in the story as well. But I think we've I think we've thoroughly Kind of went through this kind one went through pretty this good. One. I think we should keep moving. Let's do it. Let's um, let's swing over into. Well, maybe actually, let's go into Mark real quick. Mark chapter Marky six. Marky Mark. Let's do this. And then we're gonna go to Matthew, and then we'll probably bounce back into John. That's fantastic. Okay, uh, and and this is just a quick note. Uh, last week, I think it was after we recorded our last episode, Nate, we were talking about Christ's family a bit. 
and we were wondering about when would be a good opportunity to to kind of bring them in here. And and this week we have a mention of his family, and and I think it, maybe we can't explore this to the full extent of what we were hoping to, uh, but I, I still think there's enough of a window here that maybe we can jump down this a little bit. Christ has such a, a bright spotlight on him in the Bible. It's easy for us to imagine him in isolation. He he he's. I mean, yeah, he does have his 12 disciples, but when we think of him and his family life, we think of Mary, Joseph, Christ, and, and that's the three of them. And Christ was like this star and, and, and this family. We don't realize that he grew up in, in a family. And, and so maybe thinking about his family maybe shocks us a little bit just based off of how we perceive this. So Mark chapter 6, and, and this is the people commenting in verse 3, Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, and the brother of James and Joseph and of Judah and Simon. Okay. So we've just named here four brothers of Christ. So making Christ, Christ with his four brothers makes five sons. The law. It's oh. <laughs> interesting you said right, that. Let's keep going. <laughs> okay. And, and not only that, but if I were to keep reading and, um, and are not his sisters here with us. And so not only does he have four brothers, five sons in this family, but then they say sisters, plural. And if you've got more than one sister, you have at least seven kids in this family. And and maybe for, maybe for people who think about Christ and his family and growing up, thinking of him in a crowded family of seven is not what typically comes to mind. Why do you think we do that? I, I don't know. I, I think of the same, like Joseph Smith, and and this is going to be similar yet different, right? When we when we read about the visions that he has, and Moroni coming and visiting him in his his, his room at night, and the revelation that he receives, I I often think of him as just alone because that's that's the the, the who the story is about, and we just envision him and this angel coming and visiting him and talking to him. We don't realize that that he had a lot of siblings, and and they probably all slept in the same room, sharing the same bed. This isn't just one person. Now, all of a sudden, I don't know. I, th- I think we hear somebody, and that's the main actor, that's the main person, and everything else becomes such background noise, it almost just fades off into nothingness, and we, we don't realize that that's there. And this was a real hang-up for the people because they were saying, because Christ actually becomes very bold here in saying, I am the Son of God. And they're like, what do you mean the Son of God? You're the Son of Joseph. We know your family. You can't tell us you came from nowhere. We know your brothers. We know your sisters. We know your mom. We know your dad. What do you mean you're the son of God? For them, it was hard because the family was not just this background noise that faded into nothing. He was very much a product of this family that they had grown up with and that they knew. And and I think that's interesting. And I think when we talk about where do these brothers come from, I, I know I've heard a lot of thoughts about Joseph having brothers or sons and daughters from a previous marriage, and then he marries Mary, and Christ is kind of this only child in the second family. I don't know that I buy that. Uh, and and the question might be, how come Joseph doesn't appear in a lot of these stories? Well, in a lot of these stories, Mary is coming to him with with these younger siblings in the middle of the day while he's out teaching. So what's Joseph going to be doing, leaving work, coming to track down Mary? Like, this is Mary with the rest of the family going and seeing what Jesus is up to or going and talking to him 
I, I don't know that his, his, his father naturally fits into this conversation. And, and especially where the highlight on this is Christ is the Son of God, why would you be throwing Joseph back into this and convoluting it a little bit? So mm. I, don't, I don't know that Joseph is necessarily dead. I just don't know that from a literary standpoint or even from the timing of the day, he would fit into a lot of these stories. Uh, Christ, Christ says, who are my brothers? Who is my mother? And, and it's those who accept the gospel and who follow it. And I think it's interesting that the father's now mentioned there because you talk about you're born physically into a family and Christ is saying to be part of the kingdom of heaven, you must be born again, spiritual birth. And he's going through this whole second birth. And, and I think it's significant that you don't have the father there because who is the father of this second birth, right? Christ is the father. He becomes our fathers. We're born again. And, and the mother is Israel, the bride, right? And, and so if Christ is the groom who gave his life to the bride, it fits that he takes this fatherly role and the mother becomes Israel and the offspring become our brothers and our sisters. And so it's interesting how he plays with this family. And it's interesting that the family does play a role throughout this in the New Testament. I completely agree. I I think my point, though, I think the reason that it's we don't really think a lot of this in relation to him being very normal in some ways, right? Like he 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 also had a very human experience as well. And part of the reason I think is because when you look at art from like early Catholicism, when you look at it's, we've kind of talked about this and I know we've, I for sure talked about this off air, but how there's always this push through early Christianity to kind of, um, really just almost highlight the almost untouchableness of Christ. Right. And that because of that, traditionally, it's really hard for people to accept a lot of LDS theology really in some ways right this idea that we can become like god the idea that it's not it's not jesus alone as this untouchable you know what i mean you you can't you can't actually walk in his footsteps because he is it's like you you have to talk to his mother mary to get a hold of him on the phone you know what i mean <laughs> i'm just saying it's just like there's there was so much of the Everything that we see in the art, everything that we see in early Christianity canon and everything like that, the the scriptures they chose and all of these things was to almost isolate Jesus from the rest of us. And and it's why, again, it's so mind-blowing to a lot of people to think that there's a real chance that he was married, right? That, 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 all, that he actually was still a Jew, right? And... And it's 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 amazing that you brought this up. Is that w- why do so many people have so many problems with like early LDS prophets, right? It's for a lot of the same reasons, right? Is that they were human beings, and that there was a very human existence about them, right? And it just it's it's I guess it's I get it because it is sometimes hard for me to think of Moses as. President Nelson, right? It's it's hard for me to think of Moses this epic. We make them larger than life. We do, right? And, and well, it's because we have books that you know what I mean that that are written about them, and and whole religions that basically are based off of these things. But like, yes, it is hard to conceive of in, in our brains. It's hard to to 
understand the human parts of these people, including Jesus, the human part of Jesus, right? That he had a family. And and it's funny because it's for the same reasons that a lot of people I feel like didn't accept Jesus in these scriptures we're talking about is the reason that a lot of early Christianity tried to also scrub out the rest of his family because they're like, we don't want to, we don't want people to ever think of Jesus as potentially one of us, one of us. What a, what a, what a complete miss from early on. You know what I mean? Like what a complete, like, like sideways turn in early Christianity, trying to truly understand who Jesus is. And by the way, look at the cultural ripple effect from that. The damage done, right, is that when when missionaries show up to go, yeah, Jesus actually said that you should become like him and that he expects you to become a god like he does. Everybody's just like, whoa, 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 whoa. You know what I mean? It's like the first thing. Hey, you know, Satan is the spiritual brother of Jesus. Whoa, 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 whoa. Hey, we actually have a heavenly mother and a heaven. Whoa, whoa, whoa. You know what I mean? It's just, it's like that the early preconceived ideas of this just, I mean, shaped the way that thousands of years would, you know what I mean, shape people's ideas of who Jesus is. And it's funny because it's for the exact same, they're trying to avoid the exact same thing that there were people that had problems with even during Jesus's life. Oh, such a great point. I, I'm so grateful you brought this up, Nate. I Like, people had a real tough time imagining God as one of them. That's blasphemy. God is not one of us. He can't he can't have brothers and sisters. He can't have parents. He can't be like us. And and Christ is coming to erase the lines that people have been establishing. Moses plainly taught in the wilderness to try to bring people into the presence of God and they're like, "Whoa, whoa, 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 whoa. We can't be that That's right. You speak for us. You we That's need a exactly we need right. a line. Yep. We need a wall." And Christ from the beginning has been trying to tear down that wall and say we're not that different. And and to show us that we're not that different, he had to become like us. He had to erase that line to be like us to show us that we can be like him. And and and, and it's so weird that that we we I don't know, it, it does it scare us to be like him? Like let me ask you a question. Have you ever thought about I wonder what heavenly father's brothers and sisters are like? Like, I mean, even just saying the words, we kind of like, you know what I mean? Like, there's almost like a physical, like we are like, whoa, you know, it's like, because we just don't talk about this, right? We just don't understand because maybe even to some degree, whether it's because we're commanded to or not, like we just disassociate ourselves from the potential of what God wants us to be. We just do, which by the way, who does that help when we're in a dark place? Whose plan does that help when we're when we're struggling to Who, convince us like no there is separation between you you can't make it you should give up you see what I mean it's just yes. like it's like what a more what a more almost incredible like tool of the adversary than to be like yeah don't think about this stuff trust me you can never think of all the terrible things you've already done in your life like you're you're done for come right? follow me versus You'll never be like me. That's right. But it's like even just even asking the question is like, I wonder what I wonder what Heavenly Father's family's like. 
it's like it's just it's inconceivable for us because we just don't think about that right we just think like hey here's the here's the hierarchy here's the chain of command right which again like yes functionally that is absolutely what we follow like i'm not suggesting we don't but jesus dude we talked about this when we were talking about art right and Mm -hmm. and and the idea of creation and, and and jesus and and the idea of like satan being the imitator of creation right and jesus being you know like an actual creator and we go well he even himself said i've i do nothing except i've seen my father do it too right so you just again it's like we have to remember then like okay like how far are we willing to believe that like at what point do we stop accepting like okay cool what what does that mean when he says i do nothing save i've seen my father do the same like i don't know if i know the answer but it's like i do know that my brain wants to put governors on it you know like my brain wants to put boundaries on that and my brain's not smart enough maybe to know where those actual boundaries are but i think that this is just another it's another really important thing to understand when you go Jesus had to have known by the way that people probably had problems with him being the the carpenter's son that had some brothers and sisters who maybe were obnoxious who maybe you know what I mean who kind of like showed up at times where it just wasn't the most convenient you know whatever these things are and it's just like oh you mean he had a normal family <laughs> you know what I mean you mean oh wait you mean just he had a family cool we all have those it's like I don't know do you see do you see kind of where I'm going with this where yes. it's just like where do we I don't know. I guess, and again, my bigger point would be to highlight the, what a better way though to try to like, what a better way to attack the Joseph Smiths of the world other than to be like, yeah, cool. Like, wait, you think that this dude was having visions of angels when he had brothers and sisters around in the same bedroom? It's like, it's like you, it's like you almost can use that as ammunition to be like, come on, like, like if he's truly this special of a person, shouldn't he have been like an only child that was like meditating all day from when he was a kid and and climbed up some mountain and had some spirit quest when and then and then and then floated at the top of the mountain and then all of his hair turned white and you know what I mean? And like to even talk to him, you would have to like go through the seven trials of the Shaolin. You know what I mean? You see what I mean? Like yes. it's like you almost want there to be this big mystique this this legendary story around it right and people have the hardest time being like no he was also a teenager and it self-admitted a knucklehead for quite some time in his life you know what i mean like people have the hardest time with just like being like yes brigham young was also a product of the time period that he lived in too right and and absolutely had some like racism and absolutely had a lot of these things which by the way like that are we going are we going to like not give him any sort of grace that maybe had he lived in a different time period he would have probably been a different person too do you see what i mean it's just like we just have we we can't we it's it's hard for our brains to think that that they that they're just one of us and you know i get it why people have dude it's funny people are like well do you think I don't know, whatever. Do you think Do you think the prophet is receiving just revelation all day and he just sees Jesus in the temple every week and all of this type of stuff? Because we want there to be this huge thing around, you know what I mean? Like we, it's almost like comfortable for us to have separation because what does that mean if there's not? What does that mean if they truly are one of us? Like what responsibility does that put back on us? 
Do you see where I'm going with this? Yeah, and what what erodes faith more than thinking, you know what? That that happened to them because they were special. Yeah. That happened to them because they were prophets. That happens to them because but it's not going to happen to me because I'm I'm just normal. a normal dude. It doesn't happen to normal people. It doesn't That's happen right. to me. I'm not going to get my prayer answered. Why That's bother? Right. Yeah. It it I, it's it's a crafty plan, but it it it's what kills faith, that what kills hope, but what kills it, it, it's counter to everything Christ came to do. I'm really glad that they included this, though. By the way, in in the in the scriptures, I wish that the early um, Catholic Church hadn't scrubbed um, Jesus's wife out of this situation. <laughs> Apparently, they were okay leaving. Um, they were okay leaving his siblings in here, but a wife was a bridge too far. <laughs> I'm still I'm still not sure I'm crossing that one yet. Oh, I'm ready. I'm ready to cross, dude. <laughs> Anytime you're ready to cross that bridge, I'm here, dude. I, I'm here I, to I'm here to help you cross that bridge. I'm not saying I have any problem with it. I'm not saying I have any problem not with it. All right, well, I, I just don't know. I'm I am firm and I'm ready to help you cross I'm, that bridge. I'm looking forward to when we hit that because I know I'm where ready. I know where it's at you and do. I know what's going to happen. That's exactly and right. I'm you happy do. to go down that road with you. All right, but that was a bridge too far, apparently. I'm just saying that because, by the way, like we do know that there's scripture that does talk about that that was not included in. But we'll, we'll get there. We'll get. We'll there. get there. All right. Let's uh, let's let's take a look at Matthew 14. I'm glad I'm glad we went down that with uh, with Christ's family. I wasn't sure we were going to put that in there, and it, it was a uh, it was a discussion worth having. It's so important because again, like we can't we I, I'm not going to reopen this, but it's like while we go through this, I just want to make sure that we never skip an opportunity to remind everybody that it's like he also had a very human experience here too. He did. That's so important. That's the most hopeful, beautiful part of this whole thing. All right, we can keep going now. Okay, let's talk about John the Baptist getting beheaded. I love John the Baptist, and I'm happy for him that he was able to seal his testimony in blood because I'm I'm thrilled and happy for the mission that he was able to fulfill while he was here and after he was here. Hey, he was an awesome dude. He was so awesome. He was so awesome. And any chance we ever get to highlight how awesome John the Baptist was, you know we're doing it from now on. Sweet. And and I, I want to go, it's actually right where we're talking about with Christ's family. We're just going to fast forward a little bit into verse 20. For Herod feared John, knowing that he was a just man and, and holy and observed man. And when he heard him, he did many things and heard him gladly. I don't think we get that side of Herod very clearly in the scriptures. And and I think there's a, a an important distinction here. How many of us hear the prophets gladly? And, and, and I mean, look at what he's saying about Herod. He observed him. And when he heard him, he did many things and heard him gladly. So he was glad and not just glad, but he actually did many things based on what John was telling him. There's, there's an interesting relationship between Herod and John that I don't think we realize here. And, and there's a real reason why Herod is fearful that when Christ's fame starts to spread, that he thinks John is, is resurrected because he feels like he's betrayed his, his trust, this friendship that they, if you can call it a friendship, I don't know what you can call it. And, and where did it go wrong with Herod? And John, and what's the difference between gladly listening and following a prophet to all of a sudden being the one who executes a prophet? And and I think, you know, maybe we read the scriptures gladly or we start to do some of the things and and 
where do we, where do we get off that track or that trail to where all of a sudden we're not willing to listen? And, and the big, the big problem in this with Herod is the relationship that he has with his brother's wife, right? So Philip has a wife, um, um, Herodias, thank you. Uh, Which interesting enough means hero, right? It's the female version of Herod and, and Herodias divorces Philip and it's not the other way around. It's not like Philip divorces Herodias. She's, she's an interesting character in history. She divorces Philip and then demands to get married here to Herod. Herod is already married. And, and that's part of the problem here. Herod has to divorce his wife, who is the princess of Nabatea, in order to marry his brother's wife. And John is, is, is very vocal about this. And the reason why John is vocal about this, it sounds very reminiscent to what we saw in the Old Testament with Ahab and Jezebel. Ahab was a king in Israel. And, and you look at what Ahab did and the decisions that he made, which were influenced by Jezebel, who was push, pushing the worship of Baal and sought to kill Elijah the prophet. And so Ahab's looking to kill Elijah. Now, all of a sudden, you have John the Baptist being put in the frame of Elijah and Herod being put as Ahab and Her, um, Herodias being made out to be a modern day Jezebel. And so when he tells him that it's not lawful that you marry her, I don't, I don't know that he's necessarily saying it's not lawful from a legal perspective. The word for lawful here is, is right. It's not upright. It's not righteous. It's not a good thing for you to do. And maybe even counseling him from the perspective of a friend, if Herod would listen to him gladly and observe, and here you have this king trying to be in the good graces of his people, and he's coming to this prophet and trying to 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 fit in or follow and 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 get the approval of the people John's telling him this relationship is going to be not just your downfall but it's going to hurt the people very similar to what the relationship with Ahab and Jezebel did for ancient Israel and this happens because he divorced the Nabataean princess the king of Nabatea is upset and he raises an army and comes over to Jerusalem and actually humiliates Herod and his army. And because Herod and his army represents Rome, Rome is not very happy that they're not looking good. So the Roman emperor is telling them, we, I will give you the troops. We're going to, we're going to get some retribution. And, and so they encourage Herod to go back and fight the, the king of Nabatea over this. And then, and then you have... Herod pauses, he doesn't do it, and then you have some changing in the the empire, and and things kind of, he misses his moment, right? But because he doesn't react, and because they're embarrassed, it actually leads to Herod and Herodias both being exiled out of Jerusalem. So this decision has, has eroded himself and it's eroded their relationship and it ends up getting them all kicked out. So I, I wonder if it's not just censoring the fact that he's marrying his brother's ex-wife, but, but it's also saying for your own salvation, for your own benefit of, of who they are. Josephus gives us an idea of, of um, Herodias' character when he speaks about her. He says, Herodias took upon her to confound the laws of our country and divorced herself from her husband while he was alive and was married to Herod Antipas. She did a lot 
to try to change things. The whole reason why John the Baptist was in prison was because of her. And then subsequently, the whole reason why he was executed was because of her. She, she almost stands as the opposite of Christ. Here you have Christ, who, who's the king of kings, who's, all the glory is his. And, and we go back to the temptations in the wilderness, trying to say, here, take your throne, here, show your glory, here, trying to get him to abuse his power or try to be. And, and he can't, right? Because he's not about this, unlike, unlike Satan and his plan, he's not trying to exalt his throne above everyone else. He's not trying to tout his own. He's trying to, he's trying to exalt everyone else around him instead. He's more concerned about giving of himself to liberate everyone else. And here you have this character, and what she is trying to do is exalt herself at everyone else's expense around her. It's, it's the opposite. And, and she's divorcing her husband, and she's demanding executions, and she's changing the laws. And, and because Herod is buying into her, and in essence choosing her over John the Baptist, who's the, the opposite of this, it, it leads to that, that downfall. That's really great context. Yeah. Sorry, John. <laughs> Sorry, John. Rest in peace. Uh, but in a sense, John's really standing in as kind of a Christ figure in this story. Yep. So it's it's interesting. Any, anyhow, I'll, I'll keep moving. Okay. I pre- that's good context, though. I didn't know any of that story. Uh, so Christ afterwards, when he hears the news, and, and this is where we get the story where Christ is going to be feeding the multitude. When he hears the news, it says that he withdraws himself. In fact, let's go to Matthew 14 and maybe just pick up some of these these verses. Verse 13, when Jesus heard of it, he departed thence by ship into a desert place apart. So he's, he's trying to process this. He's, he's going to be alone. He's probably grieving too, right? Like, I mean, this was his friend, his cousin is the whole thing, right? Yeah, this was the, 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 the forerunner to him. And, and maybe even it reminds him of his own pending death. That's what I was going to wonder if, if, uh, if a lot of other people even around him probably maybe didn't want to have to acknowledge that, but he knew. And and you know what? Maybe he's actually mourning that the people are willing to commit this level of, that they really are willing to murder John, that they really are going to murder Christ, that yeah. they, that they're, that he can't quite. I mean, there's a, there's a lot of human experience in this story. Really? I, I think you bring up even another great angle on that that I didn't think about. I, I always just imagined this as like a, this this probably hurt. This probably hurt really bad from even just a very relationship standpoint. And then you do take it a next step, which is like, I mean, dude, it's the same thing happens when we have a friend that passes away. It's like, yes, we mourn for our friend, but what do we also do? We usually have a pretty heavy moment of our own mortality, right? Like, I mean, when we have people close to us die, we can't help but also, you know, like we we can't help but also go like, hey, I wonder what this is going to look like for me. And in this story, I mean, you have to, you, it's, it's hard not to read Jesus himself probably feeling a little bit of that heaviness right there. And, and I feel like a lot of us have a sense of nationalistic pride where we like to believe that our nation is similar in us that the idea that we we make the right choice that our nation makes the right choice that it represents us and and we find out that our nation does some crazy things <laughs> is is responsible for killing the god of this world yeah. i mean yeah 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 
I think it's heartful. I think uh, you know Lehi experiences this when he when he's praying on behalf of the Jews and he sees where where they're going. I I think it's hurtful when you when you realize that your nation's not woe unto them. How often like a like a hen would I have gathered you in, but you would not. Right? Mm-hmm. I, there's some definite pain there in seeing the decisions that they're making. And and you know when he's going to be apart by himself, uh, verse thirteen. I'm going to finish the verse. And when the people had heard. They followed him on foot out of the cities, so he goes in a boat to try to separate himself out, and and they and they take the long way to try to go out and be with him. And a lot of the people are probably hurting too. You think about it. John had a lot of disciples. He had a lot of followers, and and their leader just got crucified. Who are they going to follow now? Who are they going to turn to? And a large group of people show up to to find comfort in Christ. Verse 14, and Jesus went forth and saw a great multitude and was moved with compassion toward them, and he healed their sick. And you you said this, Nate, you know, you've got the pool of Bethesda, and you see the compassion he had towards this one man who was sitting there for 38 years, but you say, why, there's a great multitude that that had sickness there, why didn't he heal them? And yet in these stories right here, we're going to hear that he, they're here that he healed all of the people that were there. And, and everyone that touched the hem of his garment was made whole. And, and here he was wholesaling, healing all of these people when, when before he wasn't. And here you have these people that are hurting with the loss of John that are coming out to him. And, and, and they, just, they just share this moment. It's kind of a touching story. And it's also, um, you have to consider too, when you're hurting, just just in your life, right? Is it and you're trying to get some space to process things, usually if you have your boss calling from work that needs a bunch of stuff and you have your kids hanging on the door and you have, you know what I mean, you have all these other responsibilities, like you're probably exhausted to try to think like, hey, I'm trying to process this hurt, but all these other people need my time and attention. I know what I do. And that's usually like, hey, I need some time. I'll get back to you Monday morning, right? And what's what's even crazier to think is that Jesus, in an attempt to get away and, and process this, people catch up to him, and he still gives of himself when he probably was exhausted and was, you know what I mean, was probably also trying to process a lot of things and was still willing to then go, okay, I, but this is this is my calling. It's not to it's not to grieve over my friends. It's you know what I mean? It's like it's not to do these things. It's to stand here even when I'm exhausted. And as we've we read kind of in the New Testament how a lot of these miracles, it really does feel like it took something out of him physically, right? Like that this is it wasn't I mean, dude, there was it it wasn't it wasn't just a simple, easy thing. It, it it reads at least for him to, you know, heal people because he was always exhausted after a lot of these things, right? Mm-hmm. And so even even in even in his dark hour here, his his grace and mercy and willingness to still be in the trenches, you know, just doing these things that probably made him even more exhausted. Well and and Christ these people are exhausted. He set he sells out on a boat. A distance to be alone, right? To set them away. And these people are following on foot. They have no idea how far they're going to be walking to find him. 
And, and when they find him and it starts to grow dark and he's teaching them and he looks at them and says, what are they going to do to eat? They, they walked out here how far? And, it, and maybe they didn't expect to be gone over dinner. Maybe they thought they're just going to go a short distance and come back, right? But, but they go a great distance to be healed, to hear him, to talk to him, and, and to find comfort in this, this tough situation. And he has compassion and says, we need, we need to feed these guys. And, and I don't know if the story in, in John and the story in Matthew is the same account or if they're two separate accounts, and, but I'm going to treat them as if they're the same account. And, and Christ is, is talking about feeding this multitude. I'm actually going to skip over into John and read some of this and, and see if I can't stitch these together in a meaningful way. Uh, this is verse 6, because Christ, knowing that they're hungry, they spend a lot of energy walking on foot to get there. It's going to be a lot of energy getting back to where they were, and they're isolated from, from food. Verse 5, when Jesus then lifted up his eyes and saw a great company come unto him, he saith unto Philip, when shall we buy bread for that these may eat? Where, where is he going to get bread? There's no store. He separated himself out. Philip answered him saying, 200 penny worth of bread is not sufficient for them that everyone might take a little. So they, they do have some, some bread that they brought with them. And if, if Christ is saying, let's separate out, and, and he wants to go be alone, and they brought enough for them, 200 pence, it's, it's maybe enough to feed a couple of people there on the boat, but obviously not the multitude. One of his disciples, Andrew Simon Peter's brother, saith unto him, There is a lad here which hath five barley loaves and two small fishes, but what are they among so many? And Jesus said, Make the men sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down in them about 5,000. And, and they also talk about this in, a number, uh, in another place where they say, yeah, 5,000 men, not counting also the women and the children that were here. You're talking easily 10,000 people or more. And, and, and Jesus said, Make the men sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down there, 5,000. And Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed to the disciples and the disciples of them that were sat down and likewise to the fishes of the men that they would. And they were filled, he said to the disciples, gather up the fragments that remain that nothing is lost. Therefore they gathered them together and filled 12 baskets with the fragments of the five barley loaves which remained over and after them which they had eaten. Five keeps popping up all all day today. It it does, doesn't it? The five, the five into the twelve, dude. The five, the five uh, loaves of bread into the twelve baskets. That's pretty wild. It, it is pretty wild, and I think this is this is my take on the story, Nate. I All can, right. I could be way off on this. I can't wait. When Christ asks Philip, "Where are we getting bread for these people?" and Philip says, 200 pence of bread's not enough," and then somebody else volunteers, "Well, they they might have some." We've got two two loaves, was it? No, five loaves. Sorry, you even pointed that out. Five loaves of bread, <laughs> two fishes was I think where my mind was. And I think I think Christ talking to his disciples, they feel like it's their responsibility to provide the bread to the audience. Go back to the Lord's prayer when He says, "Give us our daily bread." Whose responsibility is it? Who fed them bread in the wilderness? God gave them the bread. And, and think about this from who, whose responsibility is it to, for, for them to obtain salvation? And I think so many churches, the idea is 
It's the pastors, it's the preachers, it's the twelves. It's their responsibility to provide the bread. And we're not just talking about physical bread here now. We're talking about spiritual bread. It's not the responsibility of the preacher to save your soul. It's not the responsibility of the preacher to provide you the bread. It's, it's your responsibility to go to God. God will provide you with the bread. And I think that's what they learned. When they, when they turn, what they have is insignificant for the masses that are there available. But when all of a sudden the masses produce, they produce not just enough for themselves, but enough that comes back to them, 12 baskets overflowing. And where did they get that bread from, right? It, it comes from God. And I, I don't know, is this, is this making sense? Can I give you my take on this? I'm I'm excited. Let's hear your take. Because I love your take too, but I, I have a slightly different take of this. Okay. You, there was a little pause there because I told Jason I'm going to have to try to get through this without getting too emotional. Um, there is a lad here that hath five barley loaves and two small, but what are they among so many? That's the scripture for me. Okay. Um, I do like your point. What is... Where where did where did this actual bread come from? It came from them. Yes, it came from the miracle came from God, right? But that, what did the miracle do actually? It just amplified the efforts of the one of the lad. Do our efforts sometimes feel like this? You know what I mean? Inadequate for what we're trying to do. They're insignificant, right? To to at, at face value, it feels insignificant. And what is actually the miracle, though? It's us doing what we can, man. It's us putting in our small offering. And as insignificant as it might seem, man, I think that this is this is just another hopeful verse, dude. The, the miracle is God enhancing even the smallest of our efforts. And, That's what I get out of this story. And, and with it, you can't wait until you have enough to start. If you're, if you're waiting until you're enough before you go to church, if you're waiting until you have enough before you can start a family and try to raise a kid, if you're waiting until you know everything before you commit and try to make that covenant with God, you're, you're missing the boat, right? You've got to start. You're never enough by yourself. You've got to start and have that faith that it's going to be amplified. And I think that this is not an insignificant point, too, is who was the one that had the faith in this story or who's who's the person putting forth this effort? It's the young dude. It's the, it's the child. This lad. Without they don't a name. know. They don't know. When we're told to become like children, I the more I learn from my children, the more I learn what that means, Right. Apparently, this lad didn't know that his five loaves and two fishes weren't going to be enough for everybody. He just, he just, he, here's my offering. You take it from here. You know what I mean? Like, we, you just, you just described all of our hangups as adults, right? I don't have enough time to do this. I don't have enough time to put into this calling, whatever this is, right? Oh man, like I'm, I'm just struggling to survive. I mean, again, like I told you, like I'm, I am trying to, I am trying to gain a testimony of tithing, right? It's like, oh my goodness, like the faith that sometimes it requires to be like, this is, 
this little small offering shouldn't even be that significant to the big picture of the church, right? But like for me, this is everything, you know? It's, it's, I'm just saying there's, there's all of these hangups that we learn as we grow older that we need to unlearn, you know what I mean? To become more like a child again, to where this lad's just like, he doesn't know. He, he, when it's like, hey, we need to feed all these people and we have Jesus with us, this kid was probably like, cool, man. Well, here's all we need. <laughs> like, it's like, so here's some food. And then when it, and then when it, it overflows, it's like, it's, it makes me wonder if this lad was probably like, yeah, of course. Like, what did you all expect? Right. The disciples are like looking around going like, whoa. Right. And this kid's probably just like, no, that's, that's what happens when we have Jesus. Right. I think it's I, whatever the pro, the profound part of this story is what the miracle actually was though for me, and that's not creating food out of nothing, because that's not what happened, and that's a small effort by the way, blessing the lives of ten thousand people, a small little effort that ends up blessing the lives of many. I think about my time as a missionary. I think about my time, you know. I think about the times that I've had people in their smallest efforts. I think of old young men leaders that I luckily still get to keep in touch with. You know what I mean? That took that little bit of time to save me. And then hopefully the generations that I've hopefully can continue to help be a good example to, right? You just don't know what that one small little effort could do. And that's what this story is to me. And we all put in our effort. We all donate our bread or whatever the case may be. And it might not think, you know, we might not think it's enough for, for, for everything in there. But then and all it of might a sudden, not be, by the way. Like at, at face surface, it might not be. Mm-hmm. God makes it. Yes. And, and, and that becomes significant because Christ is going to make the transition here when he's talking about bread to say that I am the bread. So when you're, when you're talking about it being enough, in another sense, we look at this story and say, if Christ is the bread, is there ever an instance when he's not enough for us? And not only is he not enough, but he's enough for us and leftovers. Mm. And, and it, not only is he feeding us, but he's providing us with 12 baskets of leftovers so that we can take that and find other ways to feed other people too. That's... I mean, that's beautiful, and I think that that's, it's yet another example of Christ using an actual physical experience to teach a very spiritual lesson. And and the unfortunate thing is, such a powerful story ends uh, extremely sadly. Sadly? Is that the right way to put this? Sure, totally. It's tragic. It's a, it's a sad ending. I, I, maybe sad ending is a better way to say that. Um, if we if we fast, so Christ is going to go and and just launch into a, an amazing sermon. By the way, it, it, so many times he seems to be beating around the bush and and not coming out and saying who he is or what he's doing. He's teaching in parables, but in this instance, with with the emotions running strong or whatever the case is, he he just lets them have it. And um, I was going to ask you if you think it's because of what was going on with John. Maybe so. Did you, do you not pick that up a little bit? There's almost, it's like, again, it's like if you take the human experience of Jesus here and it's like a great prophet was just killed for being a prophet and saying saying it kind of flat, flat out, right? Like, I mean, John was killed for just not beating around the bush, basically, and just saying this is the way it is. 
and was killed for it. Part of me, again, like I don't know the answer, but as I read it, it reads as if almost Jesus himself now goes, you know what? I'm I'm t- I'm not doing this anymore. You know what I mean? Like it's time. It's time. I it's gave time. Him a That's, chance. And and almost because of what's going on with John, you know, what I mean, him learning of John, it's like there's there's a shift here, and I'm just it's it's you can almost feel the the very human part of that, where he's just like, oh, this is what we're doing. Like you, you're killing. Okay, fine. Well, then from now on, I'm just cutting it straight too. You want to kill me for you know what I mean? Like okay, fine, but like. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not kid gloving this with you guys anymore. Well, and it, and it happens. It happens the following day, and and John kind of leaves out what happens in the night. And so I, the question is, do we want to go through what happened that night before we talk about the ending of the story, or do we want to go into the ending of the story and I don't circle know. back? I mean, I mean, they're both important. You decide. Let's let's, um, let's actually start with the ending. Let's start with the ending, and then we'll off. circle yeah, back to the right. night. Okay. What happened? What happened leading up to the the the, the, the morning of right? Yeah. So the next morning, uh, Christ had again separated himself from this group, and and this large group of people went looking for him. And and when they find him and track him down, he says, "The reason why you are following me isn't because of all the miracles you saw. It's because you ate the bread and you were filled." He's referencing this miracle that happened the night before. And and I do think it's significant that they ask him, "Show us a sign of who you are." Because at first you look at this question and say, why, why are you asking for a sign when he just did miracles the entire all night the night before? It's because he did those miracles that they want to know, are you the Christ? And even John the Baptist sent disciples in to say, are you the Christ, right? So I can, I can forgive him that. Christ launches into this beautiful sermon about him being the bread of life. And, and he's very clear with them, if you believe on me, I will give you a bread that your fathers ate bread, they died. My bread, I will raise you from the dead and you can live forever. But the way he finishes this becomes abrasive at the end in the sense that he's saying, if you don't eat my body and drink my blood, you won't be able to live. And and the, the reaction from the people when he said this, verse 60, many thereof of his disciples. So this isn't just random people in the crowd. These are people who had been following him up to this point. Many thereof of his disciples, when they heard this, said, this is a hard saying, who can hear it? And then follow that up in verse 66. From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. How are we going to eat his body? And, and they weren't willing to try to understand. It's so close. I mean, you can, I think we can read this and see it, but hindsight's twenty twenty, right? But there's one word I want to focus on in this verse. When we go to verse 66, many from that time of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. The word for walked, if you, if you look it up in Thayer's definition, it's to govern one's life by. And, and the idea, right, you can walk the walk, this idea that they were governing their life on the words that Christ said. Remember, these are his disciples. And they decided that this was too hard, that this was enough evidence that they weren't willing to govern their lives according to the, 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 the words that he was giving them anymore. Seems apropos with the conference coming up next week. It does. I'm just saying, like, that's this is... Dude, a lot of stuff today has been very pertinent to our daily lives, man. 
It, and, and so look at this in verse 67. Then Jesus saith unto the twelve, will ye also go away? And I think it's interesting how he says this, or at least how it says it in the Greek. Because before we have, they walked or they governed their lives no more with him, right? Jesus looks and he doesn't say, will you walk away also? He says, the word here is fall away or sink away. Will you also sink away with all the others that are sinking away from me? And Simon Peter answered, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. We believe and are sure that thou art that Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus answered, have not I chosen you 12? And then here's, here's this one line, Nate, and one of you is a devil. And so it's interesting, and, and I don't really want to dwell on this. We've, we've spent too much time, but it is interesting. You have this opportunity where many of the disciples decided to stop governing their life according to the words of Christ, to stop following him. And Christ gives the 12 and out. Will you stop following me too? And, and they say, Peter's not just saying for him, right? Because Christ's response is, you all, I have chosen you 12. This is, a, this is like the 12 getting together and responding to Christ. And he says, you believe, and yet one of you is still willing to turn. How, how, how do you square that up? I'm, I'm willing to raise you from the dead. You know that I can raise you from the dead. And yet you're willing to sell what for that? 30 pieces of silver in exchange for me giving you eternal life? It, it's, it's interesting. And Christ, you know, maybe it shows his earthly uh, experience to be able to express that. Like, And yet... One of you still willing to go to that extreme? It's it's hard to fathom. Let's let's take this with what happened at the night and and finish this up, Nate. Okay. We still have to talk about Peter walking on the water. That's what happened at night. Okay. As I was making sure, I was like, dude, <laughs> make sure we're make sure we're still hitting this because it's so important. Yeah. This is this is this is our wrap up, right? This is the, the the culmination of this whole still. So before that morning when this happens, and and maybe this helps shore up. Peter's testimony to be able to respond the way he does that next morning. But after they had fed the multitude, Christ sends the 12 out in the boat alone without him and says, go on ahead. I'll, I'll catch up with you. Because remember, he still wanted to be alone. And he goes up in the mountain to be alone. This is a long night for him. And they say that this in the fourth watch, a storm is, is breaking out. I don't know how long the storm lasted, if it was before the fourth watch. Fourth watch is between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. This was a long day. And the disciples, I think there's, I think there's some significance to the idea that Christ sent them out without him. And going back to what you said earlier, Nate, sometimes we look at it and think, oh, the prophet always has to be communicating with God, or oh, he always has to be connected at the hip. And here we have instances where, where Christ is sending them out. And, and I also think it's significant that this is happening at night. I think of the death of Christ and, and the disciples having to go through this period of time without him and, and, the, and the storm being how they're received by their own people and their own nation right? And what's going to ultimately happen with them. And, and Christ is putting a lot of trust in them to do things on their own without him. But between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m., Christ goes back out to the, to the sea to find them. And he steps out and he's walking on the water. And, and the apostles are, are terrified. 
you, you remember, you just had John the Baptist died. I wonder if some of those aren't thinking this is John the Baptist's ghost. And, and they're not even sure who it is, and, and Christ is, is comforting them. And, and, and Peter says, if it's you, and, and this shows an extreme amount of faith, then, then ask me to come step out on the water with you. And the storm's still going on at this point, right? Because when Peter steps out on the water, and he's walking on water, he's performing the miracle, he sees the waves from this terrible tempest, and, and, and he starts to lose focus and sink, and he cries out for Christ to save him, and Christ reaches out his hand and pulls him up. And, and maybe it's significant, Nate, when, when you look at the first time that Christ is with them in the boat and the storm is, is stormy, that, that Peter never makes it outside of the boat before he's asking to be saved. Maybe this is showing progress that he's stepping out away and onto the water before he's turning to the Lord, that he's making progress in his faith and in his development and, and where he wants to go. Part of me wonders, too, though, if he was also just expecting Jesus to calm the water if he were to walk out, too. Maybe so. You know what I mean? Like, I think, which is, again, another sign of faith, but maybe part of the reason that he gets caught up a little bit in the storm is that maybe he was just like, oh, hey, I can probably do this because Jesus is just going to come and calm the storm anyways. And and you know what? Maybe he thought it would be a lot easier. Hey, maybe sometimes we think following Christ is a lot easier. It's the easy way out, right? If I follow Christ, all these obstacles are going to go away and my life is going to be easy. And, and we step out on that water. And when... When all of a sudden all the obstacles don't disappear and it's not yes. as easy as we thought it was, are we still willing to follow Christ? Exactly. That's that was kind of my thought. That's great. Yeah, it's funny. He again. We always talk about how that that was the safest place, as outside of the boat, right? Because mm-hmm. at any point the water could have just flipped the boat, anyways. But we always have these weird senses of false security in our in our wherever we are, right? And how God's safe places are following Him right wherever that is and this but it is funny it's it's a new twist kind of even on that story it's this like oh yeah i wonder if he was if he jumped out thinking like hey i can probably do this because i remember last time jesus just said calm down and everything was cool and then when that didn't happen he was just like oh no <laughs> i expected you to calm these waters be before way I walked easier this. than this okay all right let's keep going yeah i here's here's what's interesting that i don't think i picked up on before but do you think what significance do you think that this experience had on what happened the next day for these guys? A lot of other people were asking for signs, right? Do you notice none of these guys asked for a sign? You don't hear you don't hear the story of Peter saying, "Hey, wait, if you're going to say all of this stuff, we believe, but like what's what's like the final sign?" And not only that, but when Jesus asked them, "Are you going to sink with everybody else that's sinking. I'm just asking, like, do you think that now this makes so much more sense of what happened the night before to the day after? Go, Nate. Man, isn't that significant that he uses the word sink away? That's what I'm saying. I hadn't even picked up on that. I don't... I wonder if, and and this is the point that I kind of want to make with this, they had, and we talk about this, you and I talk about this, we've talked about it on podcasts, we talk about this elsewhere. I don't know if I've had, I can say, I, I don't know, I for sure know that I've never had an angel come and visit me, right? I've never had that. I've never had, 
You know what I mean? I've had some pretty profound experiences that are massive anchor points for me and my testimony, but I've never walked on water. Let's just put it that way, right? But all of the pieces paint a, such a big, clear picture for me that even if I don't, even if it's still missing a couple pieces of that puzzle, I know what the puzzle looks like, right? And I think that it's, that the the disciples that were with him, his 12 that were with him, including Judas, by the way, not only saw but experienced so many things in very special, profound ways, right? That they're, they were they were seeing the painting of the bigger picture throughout this whole time, right? And when Jesus, as you can see, he's always teaching them, he's always preparing them for kind of the next bigger step in the process, right? Even like the calm on the water, it's like that was to, that was to prepare them for during the Last Supper when he basically is just like he's using the same words, like there's going to be peace. I'm not going to leave you alone, right? And you know that I'm, I you know that I'm God, not because of the food that I've given you, but because the Holy Ghost has testified it to you, right? It's like He's teaching them these really profound lessons in these in these stories that continue to kind of build and cascade on top of themselves, right? And I I do look at that and I go, that's to me the only way that you're going to be able to survive the storm that's coming man is just is just to learn how to truly learn from and rely on the little things that continue to happen the little experiences that we have in our lives those small little puzzle pieces right and jesus said it the next day when he said hey all of you are here because i physically fed you that's something tangible right like i i was able to give you a tangible miracle and when the disciples didn't leave after and he said, hey, are you, are you going to sink with these guys too? They were all like, we all saw what happened last night. We've all been seeing what's been happening over the last period of time. You know what I mean? We've seen, we've seen too many things at this point that we can't deny. And that's how me, Nate, that's how I'm trying to prepare myself is to start being honest enough with myself just to say, I've seen too many things at this point that I, I'm in, man. And and yes, I don't have all those puzzle pieces, dude. I don't. And there are probably parts of the bigger picture that I'm still, like, I still don't know maybe exactly what that section of the puzzle looks like yet, right? But like the disciples, I've seen too many things at this point, man. I just have. And I think that it's important to realize, like, Jesus gives gives us those things in a way that hopefully we can continue to build on them and understand them and accept them maybe in little smaller pieces. But here's the thing, like, why weren't the other people ready for him to say, yeah, you're going to have to eat my flesh and drink my blood? It didn't phase the disciple, his, um, his, his 12. Why did it phase so many other people but not them? That's the question. And... When we do have conference coming up, when we do have things, it's like, do you, do you, Jason, really think that this is going to be easy going forward in the world that we live in right now with all of the social pressure, with all of the legal and religious things in the world? I'm just saying it's like, do you, do you think that, do you think that we are, we're past the hard part 
I don't. What is then the difference between the disciples that had that completely were like, where else are we going to go, man? We've seen too much. What's the difference between them and, I don't know, this is kind of hard to hear. Well, you have to you have to ask yourself the question, why is Christ calling out, and yet there's one of you that's going to betray me? Is it cautionary to the other 11? Yes. That it's, it's, it, the, the process, there's no finish line to this until we're like resurrected and judged, right? You've seen what you've seen, and yet one of you still going yes. to disappear. And you have to, and he doesn't say, and Judas is going right. to, because everyone has to ask them themselves that question is now. Is it me? Is it me? And and you look at Herod, who who gladly listened to John, and yet in the end killed him. And now take that story over a cause, by the way, really like over a, over over a. I want my cause is now more important than the law. Or the cause of the one I love is more important. That's than, what I mean. And 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 now here you have this people that ate the bread and were filled, that were healed, that decided that they weren't going to follow him because that was too hard. I'm just saying, man. This is there's there's so much there's so much of unfortunately me having to do a lot of reckoning in this week's. You know I mean? <laughs> like really. Because again, like, what's that line? What's the thing? What's the thing that for me is the bridge too far? Like, right? Is and and then if so, it's like, well, then how do I, how do I build up enough faith and enough? You know what I mean? Like, how do I do the things in my life to where, when those hard things are there, that I can go? Where else am I going to go at this point? And part, of, I mean, I feel like that kind of already. I mean, I'm 40. Like, you know what I mean? What am I? What am I doing at this point? But, but I say that sarcastically, but also kind of non-sarcastically. But, but truly, that is the question, though. And so maybe that's my that's my final thought then to think about and think about is like, what is the difference between the disciples that that bailed and the ones that were like, where else are we going to go? We've seen too much. We know. And 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 what if Peter? decides to stop following Christ because he did sink. You know what? If you're Christ, you wouldn't have let me sink at all. Mm. I mean, that that opens up a whole other can of worms, but we're so far out of time. Anyways, <laughs> um, really great stuff today, Jason. Anything else that we're missing that we need to talk about? I'm sure we put too much into this already. Yeah, I, well, I'm going to try to edit it down to a listenable length anyway, so... Ask me, ask me what we're talking about next week, Nate. Do you know what we're talking about next week? Dude, it's Easter. We get to talk about Easter. Oh, dude, you've been looking forward to this one. <laughs> I, I hope so. There's a lot of good There's a lot of good stuff we're going to get to next week. Um, as always, we thank you guys so much for listening. Um, we continue to just be so grateful for the incredible comments that you guys send in and the questions that you send in. We try to do everything we can to um, promptly respond to all of these things. Even if we don't talk about it on the show, we do try to make sure that we're replying to emails and things like that so please keep sending us your comments and questions um and and your insight on stuff because it's awesome um uh hi at weeklydeepdive.com and until next week see ya